this morning we're going to talk about God's grace, love, and salvation as we continue this series on the Reformation. As you know, this is the this month is the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and so we're taking some time to look at the issues then and how they're still relevant for today. Several years ago, <clears throat> I was speaking with an Episcopal rector, a pastor, if you will, and I asked him, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I asked him, how can uh, someone in the uh, Episcopal church know for certain they're saved and going to heaven. And he said they can't. And then he thought and said, well, I guess if they're under grace, they can feel pretty confident that they're okay and they'll, they'll go to heaven when they die. I said, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean under grace? And he said, well, if they do things that expose them themselves to the, to the grace of God, you know, like go to church, uh, participate in communion, and other things, if they just place themselves in those those places where they can be exposed to God's grace, then when they die, they'll they'll probably be uh, be okay. The truth is, the most important question you and I can ask and answer in life is how can we be right with God? How can we know we have eternal life? Know our sins are forgiven? Know we'll go to heaven? When we, when we die. That was the central question of the Reformation. How can we know? How, how can a man be right? How can a woman be right with God? Last Sunday we, we saw that one of the, 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 the things that the Reformation did was it elevated the role of Scripture above everyone and everything else, that Scripture is the authority. And so with that in mind, we look to Scripture to understand how a person can be right with God. That, that question, how to be right with God, was one that uh, haunted Martin Luther. In fact, it almost drove him crazy until he found the answer in Scripture. In 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue and discovered America, Martin Luther was a little boy in Germany. His father worked in the copper mines, wanted his son to have a better life than he had had. Any of you relate to that? And so he, he saved and he worked hard to send his son to, to college, and Luther earned a master's degree and at age 21 was beginning to work on his law degree so he could be a lawyer and make a good living and take care of his family. But like most people in that era, Martin Luther was scared to death of dying suddenly because he and everyone else thought that if you died suddenly and didn't have an opportunity to confess your last sins, you would not be under grace. And the best you could hope for was purgatory where you might stay for hundreds if not thousands of years suffering before you eventually made it to heaven. And the thought of that petrified him and others. They lived in a state of, of fear, if you will. The summer, before he started law school at age 21, he came home to visit his family. After that visit, he was walking back to the university. And he, he was caught in a terrible 
thunderstorm and and a bolt of lightning hit the ground immediately in front of him and and the, the burst of air knocked him to the ground and it scared him and he started praying to the uh to the patron saint of of miners saint anne and he told her if she would save him protect him in that storm he would become a monk That's what he did. In two weeks, he entered the Augustinian monastery, the most, one, of the, one of the more conservative, strict monasteries that he could have entered. And he would spend the next several years as a monk and in that time do everything he could to be right with God. But in the end, he had no peace no spiritual peace, no peace with God, no certainty of salvation, no confidence that he was right with God. He just felt like God had, had abandoned him. He wanted God to accept him. He knew he was a sinner who needed to be righteous, and he wasn't righteous. He was a sinner, and he tried as hard as he could to be righteous. He was determined to gain God's approval. During those years as a monk, Luther was... Uh, he went above and beyond what the monks were required to do. He would literally confess his sins to his superiors every day, sometimes for an hour or longer. On one occasion, he stayed in confession for six hours as he racked his brain trying to think of anything and everything he had said, done, or thought that was wrong because he did not want to die with one unconfessed sin. He would fast so often that his friends and family became worried about his physical health. At times he would spend the entire night, all night, after working all day as a monk, the whole night in prayer. He'd sleep without a blanket in the cold as a way to punish his body. He would beat himself with a whip or a rod or a switch to subdue the flesh. He wore rough clothing. Because he wanted to experience humiliation, he lived a life of poverty. And he would even at times be forced to beg others for, for money so he could have something to eat because he wanted to experience humiliation. All of these were, <clears throat> were, were extreme things that he did, <clears throat> trying to gain the approval of God. And yet through all of that, through every effort, through every effort to do good, to do right, his mind, his heart, and his soul were tortured. And there was no peace. There was no peace. Eventually, he moved from the monastery to the city of Wittenberg in Germany where he became a professor at a new university teaching Bible. And in particular, he focused on teaching the, the Psalms of the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews. He came across Psalm 22, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he realized that in two of the four Gospels, Jesus quoted that passage on the cross. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, dying, and he quotes this passage from Psalm, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And, that, and, and you know that was in the moment when, when the sky had turned black as Jesus was on the cross and the sin of humanity was placed on Jesus. He became sin for us. 
and was separated from the Father for the first time. And, and when Luther saw that, there was, there was a note of joy in his heart to understand that, that Jesus, that Jesus, that Jesus in that moment felt the way he had felt his whole life. Estranged, separated from God. And so he started focusing more on Scripture and what it said about Christ and how to be right with God through Christ. And the passage God used more than any other to bring peace to this troubled man, to bring salvation to this lost man, to make this man who had tried everything he could do to be right with God, the, the Scripture God used to show him how to be right with God, is in the book of Romans, and I invite you to look there with me. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, to the Gentile, to everyone. Verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, is made known from faith to faith, as it is written. The righteous, the righteous man, shall live by faith. Now, in the beginning, Luther focused on the word righteous. And the more he thought about that word, the worse he felt because he realized he wasn't righteous. It was that same old problem he dealt with his whole life, that he was a sinner and he wasn't right with God. The more he thought about it, the more he prayed about it, the verse started to make sense. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus that, that for his whole life and for many people in our world today, for some of you, when you think about God, you don't think about good news. Luther thought about an angry, wrathful, vengeful, judgeful God. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people in our world today, in our lives today, who think that same thought when they think about God. Some of you think about, think of God that way. But the gospel of Christ is good news. Well, if it's good news, we have to think about it differently. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation that in this good news of Jesus, in this story of Jesus, that's the power from God for someone to be saved, someone to be right with God. And then he saw it's to everyone. Not, not everyone who is baptized, not everyone who participates in all the sacraments, not everyone who who is a monk, not everyone who follows these strict religious rules, not everyone who subdues his bodies through beating and fasting and, and freezing and sleepless nights, not everyone who does all these good deeds, not everyone who grows up in church, not everyone who's religious, not everyone who follows all the cultural mores or, or the church traditions, But it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who, what church? Church. 
who believes. Now, Luther was an intelligent, educated man. He understood that belief is not just something you think in your head, the way some of us make it so cheap and easy. It had to be more than just an intellectual idea that you agree with. It had to be deeper, more than just that, and it is, because it's a heart thing. It's a life thing. It's a dependence thing. It's a submission thing. It's a belief that says that is not only true, but that is what I depend on completely and I am committed to above everything else. That this good news of Christ, this gospel, brings salvation to people who believe, who have faith. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Not our righteousness. Luther had spent most of his life trying to be righteous, trying to earn it. Now, how many times have you said or have you heard people say, well, I'm a, he's a good person, I'm a good person. I've never done anything really bad. I may not be good enough for heaven, but I'm sure not bad enough for hell. But it's not our righteousness that this verse talks about. The gospel reveals not our righteousness, but what? The righteousness of whom? Of God. That the good news of Jesus reveals the righteousness of God. There's two, two aspects to that. One, that God is righteous, that, that God has the attribute of righteousness, of holiness. But it's also the righteousness that God makes available to us that we can never earn and achieve. The righteousness that God presents as a gift to those who believe. If you have any thought in your mind, you go to heaven because you're good, that's an evil thought. It's a prideful thought because you have no righteousness apart from Christ. All our righteousness is a gift. Because it's the righteousness of God that is gifted to us when we believe. I'll show you another passage in a moment which makes that even clearer. And then the righteous man, the righteous man shall live by faith. How do I receive that gift? Faith. Drop down in Romans to chapter 4. Paul is writing about Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And in verse 3 of Romans chapter 4, the Bible says, What does the Scripture say referring to the Old Testament? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, credited, applied to, counted toward, because Abraham had faith. God applied to Abraham righteousness. Here's Luther, like so many of us, trying to earn his standing with God, trying to earn being right with God, not understanding that you can't. It's a guilt that God credits to your account, deposits within you, gives to you 
when you believe through faith. Verse 5 of chapter 4. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Can it be any plainer than that? In verse 4, in between those two verses, he says, if you work for it, you have reason to brag. And the truth is, no one has reason to brag before God. And suddenly Luther had peace. As he read those scriptures for weeks and months, as he isolated himself in a tower while the authorities were seeking him, his life, trying to, to kill him, suddenly, suddenly, suddenly he had an encounter with God and received this gift of righteousness and in his own words said, I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself. For the first time, in peace. You see, we talk about the scriptural teaching that salvation is by grace alone, grace alone, through, through faith alone. It's not grace plus works. It's not grace plus religious activity. It's grace alone through applied to us, credited to us, counted toward us through faith alone. Not grace plus works through faith plus works. Grace alone through faith alone. The Catholicism of his day in which he and everyone practically in Western Europe lived and the Catholicism to a lesser degree but still to some degree today has more of a grace plus works approach. That's why Luther was trying so hard to earn, to merit God's grace. He knew he wasn't worthy of it. He had to earn it. Salvation in that model is a lifelong process yes god's grace makes the process possible but it's still a long process that begins with baptism when you receive initial justification but that's just the start as you come under some of god's grace when you're baptized as an infant or another age and then throughout life by participation in the sacraments whether it's baptism confession uh, penance uh, confirmation holy communion etc you place yourself more and more under the grace of God and you earn, you merit more of God's grace. And that in turn enables you to live a virtuous life and do good deeds, in turn earning more of God's favor. And along the way, every time you earn more of God's grace and more of God's favor, God pours into you a little bit more of his grace and God pours into you a little bit more of his righteous. And you're still a sinner, but you're a little bit more righteous. And if you live a faithful, virtuous life and you come to the end and die, 
And you're not guilty of some terrible sin, some mortal sin that would condemn you to hell. You're probably not good enough for heaven, but you're not bad enough for hell. And so you go to purgatory for a number of years, in some cases thousands of years, in which you suffer as God continues to punish you and, and refine you and purge you of the unrighteousness of the sin that remains in you and punish you for any sins you did not actually confess. So that at the end of your time in purgatory, you are righteous, all the other is gone, and only then are you ready to be in heaven with holy God. And so it's by grace, and faith matters, but so do your works and your deeds because you earn more of the grace and more of the righteousness, and without that, you don't have it. It's grace plus what you do. It's faith plus your works. And people still feel that way today. People who don't go to church at all. I've been a pastor now. Guys, listen. I've been a pastor 42 years, okay? Long time. And I've heard a lot of good Baptists. I asked them, are you going to heaven when you die? Yeah. How do you know? And they tell me about when they got baptized. Really? That's what Luther was hoping for, that in all those years before he became a monk and while he was a monk, that all of his religious activity. See, we can fall into the same trap. Are you a Christian? Yeah. My mom took me to church before I was born. Good, but so what? I live a good life, and you should, but you're not going to heaven because of it. It doesn't make you righteous. See, the issue Luther was struggling with 500 years ago is still around today. We just talk about it differently. But it's the same issue as that, that somehow, for some reason, we would rather earn salvation than fall on our face before holy God and say we're worthy of hell and only your love and only the cross of Jesus and only my repentance and my commitment to Christ can make me righteous. Pride. The desire to do it ourselves, to do it our way. Pride. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, God really didn't mean that because he knows if you do what I'm telling you to, you'll be like him. Pride. Pride is the reason men and women die and go to hell who are unwilling to humiliate themselves before God and say, I have no righteousness and I need the righteousness that comes only through faith from the love of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, 
God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, bringing peace to a broken relationship. Notice this, not counting their trespasses against them. Now put this with Romans, okay? Because of Jesus, when you believe, God does not account against you, credit to you, assign to your account the sin and the consequences you deserve, your trespasses. And Romans instead, when you believe in the gospel of Christ, God in Christ, the good news of that, instead of assigning to you the sin and the judgment that it deserves, he assigns to you instead what? The righteousness of God. By faith, God's righteousness is credited to your account And because of God's love, through faith, your sin is not. Do you get that? Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, He, God the Father, made, or or, or rather, He made Him, Him, Jesus. So God the Father made Jesus the Son who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless to be sin on our behalf. On the cross, when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in those hours, He literally became our sin and was punished and experienced the wrath of God. So we wouldn't have to. So the Father made the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the what? The righteousness of what? The righteousness of whom? Your righteousness, something you earn, something you achieve, the righteousness of whom? See, on the cross, Jesus got what he did not deserve, our sin. When we believe, we get what we do not deserve, his righteousness. That's how you're right with God. You can't earn that. I don't care how hard you try and how religious you become. You can't earn that. So how does this happen? It's by faith. Let me show you one more passage. Can I do that? One more passage? You're in Corinthians. Just go go real quickly over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, okay? Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Look in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, there it is, God's love, you have been saved. Through what? Through what, church? And that, none of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of, so that no one may boast. You see, if your works, your good deeds play any part in your salvation, you have to some degree a right to stand before God and say, hey, I earned this. And God says that's not how it works. Again, it's by grace alone through faith alone. Can you say that, church? By grace alone through faith alone. Let's say that again. By grace alone, through faith alone. Do you understand it? Works 
does not save you. Works is not part of you becoming a believer, not part of you earning the grace of God. The word grace at its core means unmerited favor, love, grace, favor that you don't merit, don't earn, don't deserve, but it's given. So what role do works play in our lives as believers? We're, we're, we, we're people of faith, and because of our faith and commitment to Christ, we have righteousness, the righteousness of God. Where do works come in? We'll look at the very next verse in Ephesians 2. After verses 8 and 9 in verse 10, he says, For this, for we are his workmanship. Back in Corinthians, we don't have time to look at it, but in that same chapter we looked at just a few verses before, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When you become a believer, you become somebody new. Here he says, once you place your faith in Christ, God's grace giving you that opportunity, you are his workmanship. God is working in your life. He's building something, creating something. He says in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that when you are, listen, when you're in Christ, now that's the key phrase, in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Corinthians, right? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to him. When you place your faith in Christ, you are then in Christ, and in Christ you receive the righteousness of God, and in Christ the result of that is not only are you righteous, but God, after making you righteous, begins changing you, doing a work in your life that produces good works. God prepared beforehand. From the very beginning, it was God's plan. In other words, I do good works not to merit the grace of God, not to merit the righteousness of God. I do good works because God has loved me and made me righteous, and it's just what righteous people do. Now, I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. A true believer can sin, a true believer can have a period of not following Christ, but a true believer cannot spend the rest of their life ignoring Jesus Christ. A true believer cannot live like the devil year after year after year because your life does not save you. It is the evidence that you are saved. It's kind of like the sun and the sunshine. I go outside on a beautiful sunny day and I feel the heat. I feel the warmth of the sun. You ever been there? <laughs> They're connected. The sun and the warmth. But they're not the same. They're separate. Righteousness and works are not the same. They're separate. But they're connected because when you're righteous, when you're in Christ... You're going to exude the warmth of good deeds. It's just who you are. It's not how you become who you are. It is who you are. Your life is the evidence of it. Now let me wrap this up. Back in the time when Luther was still a monk, made a trip to Rome. There's some steps in Rome. They're still there today. There's a photograph of them. The holy stairs, the scala sancta. Supposedly, Emperor Constantine's mother had them move from Jerusalem to Rome 
in the fourth century. Supposedly, they are the steps that led to the praetorium of Pilate's palace where Jesus was placed on trial. And therefore, since he supposedly had climbed those steps, they were sanctified, they were holy. So they were brought to Rome, and that's not the place exactly where they were when Luther lived, but, but it's the same steps that Luther, Luther climbed when he went to Rome. Then, as today, there are stairs or steps on either side because the only way you're allowed to go up, on, go up those steps is on your knees in prayer. That's how it is today. That's how it was in Luther's day. And when Luther got to Rome, he wanted to do everything he could to earn God's favor and, and, and to receive indulgences. We'll talk more about that in a future sermon. But these, these, these gifts of grace from the church that will let you or your loved ones out of purgatory earlier. You earn them through doing something, through paying money. And so Luther, like many, many others, gave an offering, and, and he climbed those, those steps on his knees, kissing each step, reciting each time the Lord's Prayer. The idea was that when he got to the top, he would have earned this indulgence and his dad, his mom, himself would not spend as much time in purgatory. <clears throat> he got to the top. He stood up and he looked back at all the people. And he thought to himself, I don't know if this does any good. And he had absolutely no peace. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 tell us how to have peace. Did you look at that? Therefore, having been justified by what? We have what? With whom? Through our whom? <laughs> Do you get it? By faith, through in Christ. Through whom? Through Christ also we have obtained, notice this, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. If I want to introduce you to somebody so you can have a relationship, I introduce you. Faith is what introduces you to righteousness, introduces you to God, introduces you to salvation, introduces you to peace. Is how you have it. And Paul said, I'm, I'm not anxious, I'm not worried about my salvation because in this present moment, he said, I and others of faith, we exult, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're looking forward to the day when we will stand in the presence of holy God and enjoy all the glories of his majesty. We're not worried because we have peace with God by faith through Jesus and his love for us. Do you have that peace? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that faith? Are you in Jesus, in Christ? Or are you still depending on all the religious stuff, all the good stuff you do and have done? Are you rejoicing in your salvation? <laughs> 